The Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network College Football Edition is presented by The Rebel Walk. For the best coverage of Ole Miss sports visit www.therebelwalk.com. We are also brought to you by, I'm Changing the Narrative. Our mentor and dear friend, Rachel Barbo started this movement to improve the lives of current and former athletes. To learn more visit www.imchangingthenarrative.org. We are also brought to you by, Quick Cuts Media. Whether you are looking to produce business-to-business or business-to-consumer media for your employees, vendors, and customers can be a wonderful experience with the right partner. Learn how to win with us at www.quickcutsmedia.com. And we are also brought to you by, our good friend, David Walker. Head over to Amazon today and pick up your copy of his amazing book, I'll Tell You When You're Good. Coming up next is the Crunch Time Express. Your VIP pass has been approved so all aboard. In this episode, we will be breaking down our featured college football games of the week. We have you covered on every angle. I will update you on any late-breaking news and expected weather forecast. Billy will give you the opening lines and totals and if there are any significant line movements. In the final segments, we hand the show over to our senior analyst, Kenneth, for the best game breakdown and analysis. In the final segment is the game of the week breakdown. Kenneth will give you the best insight around and his keys to victory for both teams. Webster defines crunch time as a critical moment or period, like the end of a game, when decisive action is needed. Every sports fan knows this time in the game. Your palms sweat a little bit more, your heart races just a little bit faster, and you live and die with every play until the final seconds tick off the clock and you're either celebrating a victory or disappointed by the defeat. The team at Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network understands just how critical these moments are. For us, it begins as soon as the next set of games are on the board. We evaluate the opening lines and any breaking news throughout the week. We cover each game inside and out, whether it's from inside the locker room to a huddle down on the field, the court, or the ice. We take you inside the meeting room with scouts, coaches, and executives. We have our fingers on the pulse of all the sports that we cover, the National Hockey League, NBA, college basketball, college football, and the National Football League. We are the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network, and we're here to help you find your sports advantage. After all the data has been crunched, we then turn it over to Kenneth for the best analysis around. His unique perspective in both understanding the data and how it applies to the game and how you win is the Crunch Time Sports Advantage. Are you ready? The Crunch Time Jet is fueled and ready for takeoff, and the Crunch Time Express is about to leave the station. Your VIP pass has been approved, so all aboard. Welcome to the rundown. Here are the games that we will be covering on this episode. If you have done so, give us a follow on Twitter at CrunchTimeVIP and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, if you missed any of our previous podcasts, you could find them on our website at www.CrunchTimeSportsAdvantage.com. Here are the games that we will be covering on this episode. The Arizona State Sun Devils will travel to LaVelle Edwards Stadium to face the BYU Cougars. The Alabama Crimson Tide will travel to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium to face the Florida Gators. 
and our featured game of the week, the Auburn Tigers will travel to Beaver Stadium to face the Penn State Nittany Lions. Ness. For the game between Arizona State and BYU in Provo, Utah. The kickoff is set for 10 p.m. Eastern Time with the temperature at kickoff expected to be 55 degrees and it will feel like it is 52. A slight breeze coming out to the east with a max around 13 miles per hour and a rain probability of 13%. This game opened with Arizona State as a two-and-a-half point favorite and an opening total of 50-and-a-half. The game currently sits with Arizona State now favored by three-and-a-half and the total is 51. For the game between Alabama and Florida in Gainesville, Florida. The kickoff is set for 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time with the temperature at kickoff expected to be 83 degrees and it will feel like it is 94. A breeze coming out to the west moving west around 4 miles per hour and a wind gust up to 8 miles per hour and a rain probability of 54%. This game opened with Alabama as a 13-point favorite and an opening total of 56.5. The game currently sits with Alabama now favored by 14.5 and, and the total is slightly up to 60. For the game between Auburn and Penn State in University Park, Pennsylvania. The kickoff is set for 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time with the temperature at kickoff expected to be 57 degrees and it will feel like it is 57. A slight breeze coming out to the northwest moving south around 5 miles per hour and a wind gust up to 7 miles per hour rain probability of 5%. This game opened with Penn State as a 7.5 point favorite and an opening total of 52.5. The game currently sits with Penn State now favored by 5 and the total is slightly up to 53. Coming up in the next segment, we will replay an interview with our good friend, Gator Dave from the Gators Breakdown. You follow Dave on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and his podcast at Gators Breakdown. And I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend, Gator Dave. And Dave, it feels like we were just doing this about nine months ago, my friend. Oh, yeah, it does. Uh... Little different circumstances this time, game not in Atlanta. Both teams look a whole lot different than they did in that SEC championship game last year. But uh, we get our first big SEC, you know, filling type game for the first time since 2019. Yeah, Kentucky and Missouri last week, but we're for some traditional powers, you know, the the top tier of the SEC when you think of stadiums, when you think of crowds. This is the first big one of 2021 and the first big one since 2019. And Dave, the way I look at this matchup, it is two teams that are transitioning into um, a new style of the way that they're going to play both on the offense and defensive side of the ball. So really looking forward to this big matchup coming up on Saturday afternoon. Well, uh, we'll know more about both teams, of course. And uh, I think Alabama, they got out to such a big lead over Miami where they could, you know, really have called the dogs off and, and went uh, pretty vanilla the rest of the way by getting up so much. And you're not really going to learn much about uh, Alabama against Mercer. Uh, then almost along those same lines, Florida versus FAU and USF, their first two games. Not much game planning really going on. Uh, Florida in the second half of those games had a lot of their second and third string guys on defense. Um, of course, you could probably gleam a little bit at quarterback for Florida, and I know we'll probably get into that a little bit. But uh, as far as game planning goes, uh, really honing in on your opponent, I'm not so sure it's really happened for both teams yet. I think this is the first, uh, especially for Florida, the first true, um, I won't call it midterm exam. I think the midterm will be <laughs> uh, when Florida takes on Georgia. I think everything lines up for Georgia in that ballgame, regardless of the outcome on Saturday as long as there's no major injuries. And speaking of injuries, what's the status on that defensive side of the ball for Georgia? I'm, a, I'm sorry, for Florida coming into this ballgame. 
Uh, yeah, for as far as knowing the injury front, let's have Ventro Miller of Florida's uh, starting uh, middle linebacker. He'll probably be out for the rest of the season. Um, some conflicting if it's an elbow or a, a bicep injury, but he did have surgery here on uh, you know, on Tuesday morning, the week of uh, Florida, Alabama. So it was like he'll be out for the rest of the season. Uh, so, you know, one of the tackling machines for Florida uh, there on that second level of this defense is uh, is really going to miss this game and, and miss the rest of the season. Um, go back to the before the season started, Jaden Hill, the, the, the uh, cornerback spot opposite Kyer Elam, that second cornerback spot. He goes down before the season starts. Uh, he was going to be probably, yeah, probably your starter at that second cornerback spot. So if you want to go all the way back to preseason fall camp, you're missing two starters uh, there for – now your second cornerback spot and, and at linebacker there with Ventro Miller. Uh, as far as injury report goes up front, Brett, Britton Cox, he met with the media on Tuesday as well. Says he's still not quite 100% from offseason foot surgery, but of course uh, he's dealing with the pain, but he's going to go play uh, in this game. He's played sparingly uh, in the okay. first couple games uh, there. So, you know, we're looking for him to have a big game and, and um, had his first year at Florida last year, uh, probably getting on the field for the Gators. Uh, but now, you know, big game atmosphere. This is when big time players show up. Britt Cox is supposed to be that big time player. Uh, so then now it's kind of, you know, kind of start living up to that five star building after transfer from Georgia a couple years ago. Absolutely. And on the offensive side of the ball, I know um, I've heard from a few Florida fans about seeing um, Anthony Richardson uh, break that long, what was it, 75 yard run uh, at the end of the uh, game last week against South Florida. But Come up a little bit limp with a hamstring injury. Any update as far as for Saturday? Yeah, the worry there is this is a nagging injury. This is something that's been on Richardson since back in the springtime. Uh, and it was kind of serious in the springtime. It did get better uh, when they were preparing for summer workouts in fall camp. And uh, little issues in fall camp, but you did see if, if, if everybody was had seen the highlights or watched the game last week, you know, you saw how explosive Anthony Richardson is. Runs 80-yard touchdown, comes up limping uh, at about the you know five-yard line. He actually he actually tweeted uh, this week on on Tuesday that he felt it at the 50-yard line, uh, mm-hmm. and he still outran South Florida guys uh, on the way to the end zone. Uh, but definitely something to look out for. It's, from everything I can glean, it's not as serious as what they initially thought, but that doesn't mean uh, he'll be 100% on Saturday. It's just not as serious as what they thought uh, initially on Saturday. He had an MRI Saturday night. He'll be in the training room all week. He'll be basically living in the training room this week, getting, oh, yeah. ready, for, <laughs> getting ready for Alabama. Uh, Dan Bowen said he was going to practice uh, this week as well. So you know, hopefully just some kind of mild strain, maybe some – Dan Bowen likes to say it tightened up. So maybe that's all it was as well. Uh, and you know, if Florida's going to win this game Saturday, Anthony Richardson needs to be a huge factor in the game. And, Dave, that takes me right to my point, uh, my next point. I said this for Miami going into the Alabama game. Was it more important to look good in a losing effort but come out with your starting, your starting quarterback, and in that case, um, Miami's starting quarterback, not being completely healthy, but still having the season in front of you, winning the ACC uh, Coastal and being able to go on to the ACC Championship game. Is it kind of that same deal with Florida where you let Emory take this this game entirely and get Anthony Richardson ready for 
the two biggest games left on the schedule, and that's going to be that trip to LSU, which looks extremely winnable right now based on uh, early results from what we're seeing out of Baton Rouge. And, of course, everything is going to hinge upon that game um, after the bye week against Georgia. Well, I, I think the hamstring is always going to be an issue uh, until he mm-hmm. has an offseason to be able to rest it. If he is 90%, 100%, if he can play, if he can play comfortably and not put Florida in bad situations, put himself in bad situations, I play. Um, I, I think he should, I, honestly, I think he should be the starter. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. if he's, I, I don't think he'll start. Uh, let me get that out of the way first. I think it'll be Emory Jones' game. If mm-hmm. Anthony Richardson's able to play and able to play effectively, I think he should get a majority of the snaps. He may not start, but I, I feel, in my opinion, he should get the majority of the snaps at the quarterback position. And to me, if Florida staff, and I think a lot of them do, really feel that this guy is special and can go on to have a special season once he takes over, mm-hmm. I want him to play versus Alabama. Because if you think there's any chance, any chance whatsoever, you end up in Atlanta and Alabama's your most likely opponent, I don't want that game to be a surprise. I want Anthony Richardson to know that Alabama defense. I want him to know the speed of the Alabama defense. I want him to have played versus that Alabama defense. And it may – I know a lot of people say it could shake confidence and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> me, me personally, I take that risk. I don't want that game. If you can make it to Atlanta and you mm-hmm. get that rematch, it won't be new to him if he plays in the game on Saturday. So now if he's, if he's limited in any kind of way and he's going to put the team in harm, then no. You, you hand the reins to Emory Jones and you, you go take your chances. I don't think your chances are very good in that regard. And it may not be very good with Anthony Richardson either, but I think he's going to have to be a factor in this game for, 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 for Florida to win. Uh, so, uh, but if he's not ready to go, let Emory Jones be the quarterback. Come up with a game plan uh, that relies on the running game there for Emory Jones. Hopefully your mm-hmm. defense shows up. Hopefully your run game shows up and it makes it easy for your quarterback. And, and that, that was my only concern with the being a hamstring injury and, and it looked like it did tighten up on him. I um, went back and watched it, watched it a couple of times. It looked like it did absolutely tighten. My fear would be, and, and I know it's not a lot of rest, but I could get him maybe a couple more weeks of, of, of yeah. recovery um, this week, next week, and then get ready to go to Baton Rouge and really have him more closer to 100% and say, okay, now you have the entire game plan. It, it is your offense, and we're going to build a game plan for LSU completely around what you do well as a quarterback. Yeah, and, and I get that thought. It, it really is to me just ha- how fast he can recover, uh, and, and mm-hmm. what it looks and what it looks like on Saturday. And it, it, you're right. If if if, it, if he can't be what we saw the first couple of weeks, and there's no need to play him. Uh, and I know a lot right. of fans will say, "Well, a 75 percent, or a, you know, if if you could put a percentage on it, a 75 percent, right. a 60 percent, Anthony Richardson's better than anything we'll get from Emory Jones." Well, okay, but that's not good for Anthony Richardson. Right. Uh, at, at that point. So it really is, you know, if they could put a number on it and he feels 90, 80%, then maybe you roll with him and see what he can give you. Now, he still might be limited in some fashion, but at right. least you could probably get something out of it. But if he's anything lower than, you know, if, if you can put a value on it, 80%, uh-huh. then yeah, I'd rest him, maybe get him ready for Tennessee next week, maybe get him ready for Kentucky the next week. Um, you know, because those are Eastern Division games. Those games need to be right. one, two. You could probably get by Tennessee with just Emory Jones if, you know, he if he doesn't become a turnover machine like we've seen a little bit the first couple of weeks. Right. But, you know, with, with Kentucky already having a win over Missouri 
and that's going to be a team you're going to have to pass up before you even play Georgia. You know, if he doesn't play versus Alabama, maybe you're a couple of weeks down the road looking at the Kentucky game. You know, that's a great point. And, Dave, let's talk about uh, a couple of position groups that you and I have spent a good part of the offseason talking about. Where do you feel confidence level um, as somebody who's around this team quite a bit with that Florida offensive line going into their first true test in this um, 2021 season? Yeah, they are better. Uh, And, you know, they have to start somewhere. And one of my favorite phrases is, you know, um, in sports and you know, especially in college football, because you do play some overmatched opponents a whole lot compared to some other sports out there. You know, mm-hmm. you, sh- you should get credit for being able to do what you're supposed to do. Right. And this Florida offensive line did what they were supposed to do the first couple of weeks. And especially if you've seen that offensive line the last couple of years, it didn't matter who they were playing. They couldn't block mm-hmm. anybody. They weren't right. getting yards anywhere. At least now you have a baseline. You have a baseline to go by and say, okay, well, you know, we know they're better than what they have been the last couple of years. But what does that mean when you play Alabama? We, we won't know until Saturday. They are better. They are certainly better. But how does that translate when you start conference play? How does that, how does that, play? How does that translate when you play the number one team in the country? They are better. I think they have a good stable of running backs to, to rely on, too. But they're going to have to rely on this run game. This run game is going to have to show up in some form or fashion uh, to help these quarterbacks, you know, if Anthony Richardson's limited, uh, to open up the passing game for either quarterback. This running game is going to have to be there. Uh, and, you know, you got some injuries on, on, on uh, Alabama's side, especially in the linebacker position where Dan Bowling could maybe scheme up some things and get that second level for Alabama confused just a little bit. Uh, but if that, if that Alabama defensive front can control the Florida offensive line, it doesn't really matter what those linebackers for Alabama, who's playing back there on that second level, because that, that defensive line can get to it. Uh, so, you know, Florida's got their biggest test, or of course, this biggest test of this early part of the season, and maybe the biggest test in all of the season when they played that front seven uh, in, that, in, that, in that defensive line of Alabama. And, Dave, I'll, 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 I want to ask about this, this here, because this is something that uh, just through, through film study, getting ready for the season, I said I felt three things – I could almost say was going to be absolute with the Florida offensive side of the. I said that there were there was no way with these two mobile threats that uh, quarterback that they would be as yards per game conference play rushing the ball. I think the uh, worst last year. I said uh, they were going to just be better um, replacing Travis, who wasn't a mobile option with. Uh, Emory Jones and now Richardson, we've seen that in the first two games. I said that I didn't feel, and I felt with, with that they weren't going to lead the SEC in passing offense this year because the offense was going to be different. Losing uh, a Kadarius Tony, losing a generational player like Kyle Pitt. And I didn't feel like in the SEC um, during the conference games that they could rely on averaging almost 40 points per game in conference. So the team was going to have to shift, and I think this is where we see Dan Mullen, um, the play caller, the, the offensive coordinator, really have to scheme things up to where now he's going to have to remote the offense into what he's used to, um, whether it was Tebow um, when he was the OC there at Florida or uh, Prescott in uh, Mississippi State. Now he's got his um, power run game with the quarterback, now we can see this offense kind of get back to what Dan Mullen wants it to be. 
Yeah, yeah. Can you get this Alabama defense thinking uh, just a little bit? That, that, that's what it's going to come down to for me. You know, if they if they can fly off the handle and, and be, live in the backfield all day, then you know Florida doesn't have too much of a chance. But could Dan Mullen scheme something up uh, to where you know, like, as I said, I'll go back to Alabama dealing with a little bit of injuries there at the linebacker position to where you know right. all of those guys are out of position. If those guys can get out of position, then you know, and, and Dan Mullen sees it on tape this week, or Dan Mullen uh, sees it early on in the game. Then he could probably dial some things up with this Florida run game, and and the Florida's not going to go run crazy like they had the last couple of weeks, uh, as right. far as yard, as far as yardage goes. Um, but I do expect them to be somewhat. Of, I think they'll get Emory Jones involved in the run game just a little bit more. He hasn't run it these first couple of weeks, nor has he really needed to. Uh, you kind of know what you have there. I think they've wanted to work on the passing game. That hasn't really been successful the first couple of weeks, but I do think now the game plan will be all right. Let's get Emory involved with his legs a little bit more. Let's move the pocket a little bit more as well. As far as this run game goes, uh, some of the some of the options, some of the speed options in, in, in this game, maybe uh, a lot of motion, a lot of H back involved involvement from the tight ends as well. So. Uh, I, 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 Dan Mullen should really be coming out here and throwing the kitchen sink uh, at, at Alabama. Uh, no game plan the first couple of weeks, really. You've probably been saving a whole lot. You've probably been working a whole lot, gearing towards this week three matchup versus Alabama. And uh, yeah, the, the Florida offense that we saw this first couple of weeks, you're going to see, you're going to see an expansion of that. Dan Mullen will have something dialed up, and we'll see if it's enough. And Dave, um, another position group that we've spent a lot of time over the uh, offseason talking about, the Florida wide receiving group. Where do you feel that group ha- has has performed in these first two games? Yeah, I mean, uh, Jacob Copeland, your number one receiver, got off to a little bit of a slow start and then really came on this past couple, uh, uh, this past game versus USF. He had two touchdowns in the game. Uh, he had one reception the first game. He had five receptions in this game. So he's got six receptions on the year, almost 200 yards. As I said, two touchdowns there. Uh, so he was a really good deep target this uh, game for Anthony Richardson uh, and Emory Jones. Xavier Henderson now uh, with four catches on the year. He had a long touchdown from Emory Jones versus USF. Rick Wells, the super senior, six catches on the year as well. Uh, but one guy that's got to get involved uh, more, They've Emory Jones has targeted him a lot, and that's Trent Whittemore. Uh, but it seems like every time Emory Jones has tried to throw it to him, the throws either low or it's behind him. Or you know, last week there was a pick off of a throw late to Whittemore. You can tell that he's a guy they want to get the ball more too. It's just Emory Jones has just been uh, off target when, when, when throwing to Whittemore. Uh, there, I like I like Florida's talent at wide receiver. Uh, a lot of it's going to be dependent on quarterback play and can the quarterback get it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, we'll, Emory's got to Emory's got to step his game up if we want to see these wide receivers step their game up. And as far as the defensive side of the ball, let's flip back over to that secondary. You talk about being down. Um, your your opposite corner of Elam, who I've told people, if you haven't seen uh, Kyrie Elam play, he is one of the top three or four cornerbacks in this conference. And now whoever's going to wear that, that I guess, opposite of him, um, has Florida really kind of locked in on who's going to now be that starting both um, starting corner and that starting uh, nickel corner, because that's kind of kind of how I look at it when you're going up against this Alabama defense, I mean offense, is you're going to basically have to count all three of your corners as starting corners. Feel good about Elam. How about the other two cornerbacks? Uh, yeah, I think what you got to look for there, that, that's where Alabama's going to try and explode, expose Florida is that second cornerback spot. Now, they'll, they'll test Elam too, I think. You know, Alabama's got too much talent not to test the number one corner. But mm-hmm. – 
I think they're right now. There's an advantage for Alabama at that second cornerback spot for Florida. Um, Avery Helm and true freshman Jason Marshall. Marshall's a five star coming in and you know uh, and playing that second cornerback spot. But both guys, to me, just kind of struggled uh, this first couple of weeks. Uh, Marshall play, had a pretty good game one. Uh, versus FAU, but both guys struggled this past week. I'd say Marshall's a little more aggressive, uh, but mm-hmm. both guys kind of having trouble when Florida wants to press a little bit. That they do let the guy get behind them. They panic. Uh, you've seen some passing interference calls against both of mm-hmm. those guys early early on in the season. Uh, so something to look out for there is that second cornerback spot. Alabama maybe trying to take advantage early on there for a big play. Uh, but Florida has found, I think, their nickel star corner right now. They started the season with Travis Johnson there, but uh, uh, transfer from Missouri Missouri, uh, mm-hmm. he, he transferred from junior college first and then to Missouri in the spring. But Jadarius Perkins, he took part in spring at Missouri, never played a down for him, transferred to Florida, and has come in and made his presence felt there at that nickel star position. Florida has failed to find a guy who can play that position consistently with any kind of success. Uh, Perkins, now through two games, has fit right in there to me. He has shown aggressiveness. He has shown the, the ability to cover. He has shown some smart play of, of stretching some run plays out. Uh, he breaks on the ball very well. So I, I, from now what I can tell, and I asked Dan Mullen about Perkins on, on Monday, the, the press conference. He said, yeah, he can play star. He can play corner. Uh, Todd Grantham extended that saying he's really come in and he, he thinks the world to him and being able to just come in right away and fit right in at that star nickel role. Uh, so I, somebody I think uh, – you know, Florida, we weren't, weren't necessarily sure where we were getting in him before the season started, but he's really fit in there at that nickel, uh, nickel star corner rule. And Dave, for the man that's on the biggest hot seat in, in, in Florida right now, outside of <laughs> uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State after that debacle against Jacksonville State at the end of the game, it is defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. Is this kind of a referendum on his uh, coaching tenure with the University of Florida? I think so, McKenneth, man. It's um, a lot of, you know, I, I said before the season, unless it just looked really bad, you weren't going to learn anything about Todd Grant in these first two games of the season. Right. Everybody, Everybody's looking to this week. You know, can you turn around uh, a, a terrible defense from, from, from last year? I know a lot of fans out there. Uh, and watching this game, they want to see some more aggressive coverage. They want to see some tighter coverage uh, there from from Todd Grantham. Uh, the third and Grantham can't live on. You can't. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, you know a, fa- a famous moniker there for Todd Grantham. There's been a couple drives uh, yeah. in these games so far uh, where there's just been one drive where Florida just can't get off the field. And look, can you, of course, you know other team. You're playing another team. They're going to score. They're going to you know try their best as well. Uh, right. But and, and there's there's one aspect this defense has to get better in, probably just a little more consistency uh, there for Todd Grantham. Big year for him. Uh, he really does need to turn it around. This is the first test in trying to see if anything. If you change some secondary coaches, you know, you, you saved your job, and some yeah. secondary <laughs> coaches come in and uh, tried to shore up what's happening there on the back end. Uh, so it is a it is a referendum game. Uh, twenty twenty was bad. You probably shouldn't be here in twenty twenty one. You get a mulligan. You get another chance. And now I, when uh, everybody in the in the nation is going to be watching, you know we'll see where how, how the steps Todd Grantham has uh, has made. And uh, I, I've been told it's been a pretty vanilla approach on defense, and they've mm-hmm. played a lot of backups uh, in the second half of these first two games. Uh, so you get your test. This is your test. This is what everybody's looking for. 
And if you can right. be in, in, anywhere near the defensive coordinator you were in 2018 and 2019, uh, yeah, you, you can pick apart his defense then, but at least he kept Florida in games. Um, 2020, he did not. Uh, and you wasted a really good offense. Now we'll see uh, when Alabama rolls into town what steps Todd Gethins made in turning around this defense. And, Dave, I know you got to get out of here. We saw last weekend a top five team lose as a double-digit favorite. If Florida is to pull off the upset based on where the numbers are right now, what are your three or four keys to victory for the University of Florida in this ballgame? Well, we'll start right there with the defense. They have got to get out to a fast start, Kenneth. They, they cannot allow Alabama to jump up to a couple scores and then try and fight their way back. And you want to keep the crowd in. They, they, you go back to 2018, right. LSU comes into Gainesville. Uh, look, that, look, LSU in 18 and Auburn in 19. They're, 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 don't get me wrong. Those were more 50-50 propositions. You know, Florida could easily win or lose those games. You know, now you, you're, mm-hmm. you're picked to you know, lose to Alabama. But the mm-hmm. home field made such a big advantage. You know, Dan Mullen's teams with these 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 games they've circled before the season. You know, these these huge games where uh, it, you circle it before the season starts. Everybody's ready for that game. They've shown up. They showed up LSU 2018 and got a victory there. Auburn comes in in 2019, you get a victory there. Can, can Florida rally the troops, keep the crowd in? The crowd made a huge difference in those games. Mm-hmm. But the crowd's going to get out of this game if Alabama jumps up quickly 14 nothing. Uh, right. And I'm not sure this Florida offense, you know, if Emory Jones is going to take the majority of the snaps, has the necessary uh, explosiveness to come back. So mm-hmm. defense has to get off to a fast start. Offense has to get the run game going. Uh, and if, if they get the run game going, I do think they can hit some explosives in the passing game then. But I don't think they can solely rely on the passing game to hit explosives. It's going to have to come from the run game. It's going to have to come from some play action. And it's going to have to come, I think, with Anthony Richardson. If Anthony Richardson does not have a huge factor in this game, I do not see Florida winning this game. Uh, and I'm not saying he has to start the game and play the game. And mm-hmm. uh, Look, Jones is going to be a factor too. He's going to have to play right. well. He can't, he can't go out there and throw two interceptions – uh, in each game like he did. or you know, He threw two, inter- two interceptions in the, each of the first two games. He can't go out there and do that again. So he's going to have to play a good game, a safe game. Both mm-hmm. quarterbacks are going to have to have a role. Uh, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. That, and, I, and I'm saying that because Dan Mullen's going to play Emory Jones. Whether Anthony oh, yeah. Richardson gets a start or if he plays the right. majority of the staff, Emory Jones is going to play. And when mm-hmm. he's in there, he's going to have to play well. So both quarterbacks are going to have to play well, and the defense is going to have to get off to a fast start to keep the crowd in and, Dave, I'll say one final point for me as far as Florida goes, and you just hit upon it, zero, zero mistakes. And, I mean, yep. no turnovers, no special teams, um, no special team mistakes. And, absolutely, you got to force Alabama into third and long as much as you can in this ballgame. Yeah, and you, you may have a chance to do that. You know, this Alabama offensive line is, you know, they haven't, I don't think, played up their potential these first couple games. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, letting the run, they're letting the running backs get hit in the backfield. Now, those running backs are creating some yards after contact and, and saving right. that offensive line a little bit. Uh, but, you know, they haven't been able to create the big holes, the huge holes uh, for these Alabama running backs yet. And your Bryce Young getting away with it, kind of like Anthony Richardson, getting, letting talent kind of take over, but maybe not getting rid of the ball one time into the right read every time, but their talent, their talent just kind of takes over. Uh, there's, you know, Florida's defensive front, they, they might can do something versus this Alabama offensive line a little bit. I don't know how consistent – but when you have the chance to make a play, can you, you gotta make, make a play? You got to yeah. make it. Josh Young in the back. And... Hey, Dave, let everybody know where they can find you and your fantastic podcast. 
Dave. Yeah. Hey, let everybody know where they can find you and find your podcast. Sorry about that. Uh, Breakdown. Uh, you'll find all the episodes there. YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore NBC. Dave, always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. And who knows, we may be doing this again in the SEC championship game. <laughs> I'll take it, man. <laughs> hey, have a great day, Dave. You too. The mission of Unchanging the Narrative is to promote positive mental health and good love for yourself and others to serve as inspiration for students, professionals, and parents to create an individual legacy of purpose, passion, and platform. Rachel Barbo brings positivity and purpose to students, professionals, and parents across the country through her movement Unchanging the Narrative. Presented in an encouraging and supportive environment, Rachel speaks about the power to change the narrative and to find purpose in life. In 55 minutes, Rachel covers themes such as leadership, mental health, self-care, domestic violence prevention, social justice, and interpersonal relationships. Everyone is challenged to live a life of purpose, passion, and platform. To learn more please visit unchangingthenarrative.org. While our team's professional experience dates back to the 1980s, Quick Cuts Media has been producing business-to-business and business-to-consumer media since the fall of 2011. Professionally produced media is essential in today's business environment. Successful companies value an educated workforce and informed vendors and clients. Whether your business is service or product-based, let us produce your business-to-business and business-to-consumer media in a budget-conscious way to help you get the most out of your media production dollars. Our systematic approach with actors, graphics, added video, and high-impact text will help you educate, inform, and excite your audience. We will deliver to you a professional video for your business in a week. Whether it is a learning management system content or training, corporate culture or marketing the team at Quick Cuts Media will be here to give you exactly what you need. For more information, please contact us at 844-277-2887 or visit us at www.quickcutsmedia.com. If there is anyone who could say, I didn't sign up for this, it's Texas A&M quarterback David Walker. This is the incredible story of Walker's demanding, provocative, bitterly fought career and the most miraculous comeback of all time. Now the hardest fighting Texas A&M Aggie who ever lived reveals his life as the A&M field general inside the cold-blooded arena of college football. Join fans now in discovering the most disturbingly fascinating career in NCAA history with the youngster who lived it, including unique stories of a superb high school coach and the all-time game-changers for Aggie football, the Wishbone Gang. Walker is the only college-level quarterback to ever publish a book based on his experiences in amateur athletics and remains the youngest starting college quarterback ever. He held the single-season passing record at Sulphur High for 40 years and the single-game QB rushing record at Texas A&M for 35 years, a true dual-threat quarterback. Enjoy the flavor of Southwest Louisiana and the adopted Texas swagger in his unique voice as he takes you down a -a one-of-a-kind path you could never imagine possible in the modern era of college football. In so doing you will uncover what may be the best amateur sports story of all time how David Walker met the greatest challenge in NCAA history. Head over to Amazon today and pick up your copy. It is walking to the beat of your own drum, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. It's the walk of champions. It's the walk across the stage that forever makes Ole Miss your beloved alma mater.
The Rebel Walk exists to bring fresh, unique content to Ole Miss readers. While we are certainly focused on all Rebel sports, we are also interested in taking a walk that is a little off the beaten path, producing high-quality stories you simply cannot get elsewhere. Those of us involved in the Rebel Walk make this promise to our readers, we vow to look harder and delve deeper into topics that matter to Ole Miss Rebels. You can follow Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and the Rebel Walk at the Rebel Walk and their fantastic website at www.therebelwalk.com. We are happy to have you on the journey with us. The mission of Unchanging the Narrative is to promote positive mental health and good love for yourself and others to serve as inspiration for students, professionals and parents to create an individual legacy of purpose, passion and platform. Rachel Barbo brings positivity and purpose to students, professionals and parents across the country through her movement on changing the narrative. Presented in an encouraging and supportive environment, Rachel speaks about the power to change the narrative and to find purpose in life. In 55 minutes, Rachel covers themes such as leadership, mental health, self-care, domestic violence prevention, social justice and interpersonal relationships. Everyone is challenged to live a life of purpose, passion and platform. To learn more please visit unchangingthenarrative.org. While our team's professional experience dates back to the 1980s, Quick Cuts Media has been producing business-to-business and business-to-consumer media since the fall of 2011. Professionally produced media is essential in today's business environment. Successful companies value an educated workforce and informed vendors and clients. Whether your business is service or product-based, let us produce your business-to-business and business-to-consumer media in a budget-conscious way to help you get the most out of your media production dollars. Our systematic approach with actors, graphics, added video, and high-impact text will help you educate, inform, and excite your audience. We will deliver to you a professional video for your business in a week. Whether it is a learning management system content or training, corporate culture or marketing the team at Quick Cuts Media will be here to give you exactly what you need. For more information, please contact us at 844-277-2887 or visit us at www.quickcutsmedia.com. Coming up in the next segment, we will replay an interview with our good friend, Gator Dave from the Gators Breakdown. You follow Dave on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and his podcast at Gators Breakdown. Okay, so welcome in. And in this matchup, we have the number 19 ranked Arizona State Wildcats traveling to Provo to take on the number 23 ranked BYU Cougars. And this is the first time these two teams have met since 1998. So expect this to be a very um, interesting game from a lot of levels. And this is one of the matchups that I absolutely love as a analyst and as a handicapper. So this game is scheduled to kick off at 10.15 p.m. Eastern time. So um, prime time uh, there on the uh, West Coast. You heard uh, Billy talk about the opening line. Um, Arizona State open uh, favorite by three and a half. And here's what's at stake in this contest. The Cougars look to go 3-0 and against the Pac-12, just coming off of wins against um, lowly uh, Arizona and then the Holy War game against Utah. Emotional games. Is this a prime spot for a letdown? Well, let's take a look and see um, how this uh, game matches up. And I'm going to get right into my key matchup in this contest. BYU's offense has not turned the ball over this season. While the Arizona Sun Devils, coached by 
a former defensive player in the NFL and a darn good one at that in Herm Edwards. In their last 13 contests have forced 38 turnovers, the most in the country over that 13-game span. So, guys, right off the bat, I'm going to get right into my keys. If BYU does not turn the ball over, they have an excellent chance of winning this contest at home. However, if they make any kind of mistakes with the ball, fumble, turnover, and they're minus one, minus two in the turnover ratio in this contest, that is not a recipe for success going up against this Arizona State Sun Devil team. Love the player player matchup in this game. Um, for Arizona State, the linebacker Butler, he already has two interceptions and two sacks on the season. Going to get uh, those two talented running backs there for BYU, Tyler, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize for butchering his name, Lopina. This is their one-two punch in the backfield. Tyler already has 196 yards rushing and a touchdown. Uh, his running mate has 66 yards. Love this fact. This is going to be a ground game for me just based on, based on my early analysis and breakdown. Sun Devils have scored 23 rushing touchdowns in their last five games, the most in the FBS over that stretch followed by Kent State with 19, Buffalo with 18, TCU with 17. So let's take a look at uh, what are my keys to victory for the visiting team, Arizona State. Got to start right there with that dual threat um, running back in Jaden Daniels. Not only is he completing 73% uh, of his passes, now let's set the expectation already in this ballgame. Jalen Daniels is not going to throw for 360 yards in this contest. He's not going to have a yards per attempt at 10 and a half or 12. He's not going to throw for five touchdowns in this contest. That's not his game. But what he is going to give me, and this is for Arizona State to win, by the way, what he, he needs to give me is playing mistake-free with the ball, and because he's a th dual-threat guy, I can't just say interceptions. i got to say fumbles as well. So got to do a great job of taking care of the ball because I can expect about 65 to 70 yards rushing from this young man um, because that's, that's typically where he's going to be at. His running back, Rashad White, 29 carries, 148 yards on the season, 5.1 yards per carry, um, four rushing touchdowns. Already on the season. Now, here's where they're going to make life difficult for uh, the defensive coordinator for uh, BYU. He doesn't have just one go 
two wide receiver that you can say, if we take him away, then that's going to limit their passing game. Right now, uh, if you include the running back in his top four receivers, um, Buckley Shelton has six receptions. Ricky Pearsall, six receptions. Johnny White, six receptions. Andre Johnson, five receptions. And the running back, White, six receptions. So he's going to be able to spread this ball out and really put a lot of pressure on this BYU defense. On the defensive side, we already talked about uh, Butler being kind of a jack-of-all-trades, if you will, uh, getting sacks, getting INTs, um, leading the team in tackles. He is going to have to stay clean, and that starts with those big war daddies up front. We got uh, Tyler Johnson. We got uh, DJ Davidson, uh, Shannon Foreman. Those guys up front have to keep that linebacking, um, <clears throat> excuse me, crew clean. And it's not just Butler. You're talking about the Mike linebacker, uh, Merlin Robertson, as well. These guys are going to make plays in this ballgame. If they are able to now get game-changing plays, that's going to be very significant in this ballgame. I like the cornerbacks in Chase Lucas. Um, I think him, along with his, his starting uh, mate of uh, Jack Johnson, form a really dynamic duo. And then you talk about being able to drop this safety down in whether it's DeAndre Pierce or Evan Fields, because I now have to force UC, uh, I'm sorry, BYU to beat me with their passing game. I can't allow that uh, tremendous running uh, running back duo to get going. Put eight in the box and tell your, your cornerbacks, it is on you to make sure that you handle the BYU wide receivers. If they're able to do that, I think that gives Arizona State an excellent chance of going into Provo uh, this BYU team coming off an emotional rivalry game win. And when you play those rivalry games early in the season, you can absolutely see a letdown the next week. I think that has a lot to do with this line being where it is with Arizona State being on the road as a three-point, three-and-a-half-point favorite, depending on where you shop. Vegas is trying to tell you that they are expecting a letdown. We'll see if we get that in this matchup. All right, let's flip it over to the home team in BYU. Their quarterback, Mr. Hall, has got to come up huge in this ballgame. And I'm talking about Jerry and Hall. On the season, 36 for 58, 62% completion percentage, 347 yards, five touchdowns, no INTs. He's also a, a dual threat, but not the explosive uh, runner that um, Arizona State's guy is. Now, don't be deceived. When he does take off, he takes off and gets big chunks of yards. Don't know if I'm going to see him break a lot of 35, 40 yards runs. Now, he does have one of those on the season. 
wide receivers, Neil Paiu is their primary wide receiver. And this is where Arizona State has to lock in on him. And I'm going to be interested to see uh, which cornerback, if, if not both of them, draws this matchup. But I expect to see a heavy dose of Chase Lucas on Neil in this ballgame. And honestly, I think that is going to be the ball game. If Arizona State is able to um, take away the running game and lock him up, where is uh, Jaron going to be able to go to pick up some of those chunk yards in this ball game? Got to see another wide receiver step up. And I'm going to look at cornerback K. New Hill. Only four receptions, 55 yards. That number's a little bit inflated because he does have a 33-yard reception uh, on the season. So you take that away, he's about three catches for, uh, what is that, 22 yards. So not a big uh, yards per average there. So you're going to have to find um, somebody to give you some kind of production other than Neil because I think he's going to get locked up in this contest. Now, the defense, you're talking about – I'm going to look at, in this contest, Ben Bywater. Bywater is going to have to give me something at that um, weak outside linebacker as far as a game-changing Does he have the lateral? Uh, Daniels breaks contain is he going to be able to um, cage rush and what do I mean by cage rush is he going to be able to uh, help set that edge and not allow Daniels to escape outside of the pocket whether it's to his left or his right because once once Daniels kind of gets on the perimeter Bad things happen for BYU in this contest. Their secondary, and I'm talking about BYU's, BYU's secondary is going to have to come up big in this ballgame. Whether it's Isaiah Heron, D'Angelo Mandel, these two corners are going to have to play big in this ballgame because um, I don't know if they have, especially if Arizona State goes to uh, a four-wide receiver set, spreads this BYU defense out. I like the top two corners a little bit. I really don't like what's behind them as far as their nickel and dime corners, whether it's uh, Ellis or Mitchell Price. Not, Not a lot deep as far as that secondary goes. So that's going to be very fascinating for me in this contest. How does BYU matches up if Arizona State goes four wide or even empty set, spreads this BYU defense out, and it gives uh, Jalen Daniels the option of a quarterback sneak a quarterback draw, a quarterback delay, 
and really surveys the field, takes the pressure off, and allows him to be a playmaker in this contest. Going to be a fascinating game. Um, it's going to be – I know it's in Provo, but we're still going to call it Pac-12 after dark. Um, I would definitely be up uh, watching this game, uh, tweeting um, on this contest. So really looking forward to the matchup, and we already talked about the, the, the keys for each team to win. It's going to be looking at that turnover number. What is that turnover uh, number for both teams? Um, if BYU doesn't turn the ball over, excellent chance to get that win at home. But if they're turning the ball over, let's say more than twice in this contest, uh, you could see Arizona State definitely winning this contest. All right, in our next contest, the University of Alabama ranked number one in the country, travels to Gainesville to take on the number 11th ranked Florida Gators. And because we only have a couple of games uh, this weekend that we're featuring, I can spend a lot more time breaking down uh, these matchups and looking forward to doing so in this contest. So some of the news and notes um, surrounding this, this game. We know that these two teams – uh, just met about nine months ago for the uh, SEC championship game where Alabama was able to win in a shootout 52 to 46. A lot of players are missing off of that team, and, and we recognize that. So let's let's just kind of go through some of the key players here. For the University of Alabama, gone Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith, gone Heisman finalist quarterback Matt Jones, gone wide receiver. Jalen Waddle gone, running back Najee Harris gone, left tackle Alex Leatherwood gone, cornerback Patrick Sertain a second. For Florida, gone, quarterback Kyle Trask gone, wide receiver Kadarius Toney gone, the unicorn, which is, of course, you know who. Our good tight, our good friend to tight end there. Kyle Pitts. So, what have we uh, seen uh, from these two teams early on in the season? And we're going to start with the visiting Alabama Crimson Tide. We absolutely saw this team uh, destroy. Uh, the University of Miami in that Chick-fil-A uh, kickoff classic where Bryce Young set a Alabama school record for a starting quarterback, throwing four TDs, throwing for 344 yards in that contest. Alabama defense, uh, especially in that first half, was just suffocating. Against the game of Mercer, not as clean as uh, Coach Saban wanted to see. But let's 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 peel that onion back just a little bit. Nick was disappointed in some mental uh, breakdowns on the team, both on the offensive line and in the secondary. Now, some of these breakdowns happen when you're uh, deep into the roster. I'm talking about second string and third string, but. When it comes to Alabama, especially under this particular head coach, the standard is the standard. Now, offensive line, 
still a work in progress and has to jail. I will get to that uh, once I get to the breakdowns. For the University of Florida, got fat off of two cupcakes early on this season. A 35 to 14 win against FAU. And then last week, a 42 to 20 win over South Florida. Now, here's where it has to get a little interesting. And we're going to start here with Florida. What have I seen from this University of Florida team uh, early on? Well, guys, we're going to go right to the quarterback position. Emory Jones, his numbers in those first two, two ball games: 31 completions, 49 attempts, 63.3 percent, 264 yards. Guys, 5.4 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns, four INTs, and he's thrown two INTs in both games. Anthony Richardson, 6'4", 11, 192 yards, 54.4% completion percentage. Two touchdowns, no INTs. Both of these guys are dual threat guys. Anthony Richardson, um, and we'll talk about this run here in just a minute, but 11 carries, 275 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Emory Jones, 23 carries, 155 yards, one touchdown. Dan Mullen, and here's the difference between being loyal and being flat-out foolish. Anthony Richardson by his play, should be the starting quarterback. Now, I'm going to say that with this. Anthony Richardson is not a polished passer, no more so than Emory Jones is. Take out that 75-yard pass for Anthony Richardson. His numbers are actually even worse than what they, what they are on this screen. You're talking about 5 for 10, about – 117 yards passing, one touchdown. So there, there's a problem with the passing game. These wide receivers, and I said this going into um, going into this season, I was not impressed with any wide receiver on this roster. Jacob Copeland, yes. Six catches, 190 yards. Guys, take out that 75-yard pass. He's five receptions, 115 yards. Not nearly explosive as these numbers would, would indicate. That's why this is the crunch time sports advantage. We dive deeper into these numbers than just what you uh, pull up on your screen. Let's talk about these running backs. And I'm talking about Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, Bowman. For Davis, 21 carries, 126 yards. Take out that 31-yard run. Nothing impressive about these numbers. Damian Pierce, same thing. 11 rushes, 86 yards. Take off his 20-yard run. Nothing special whatsoever. 
Demarcus Bowman, seven rushes, 53 yards, take out his long of 26. Nothing special. Guys, this is against South Florida and FAU. You're going up against the number one team in the country, and you're giving me this against lesser opponents. I can't go with that. Wide receivers, same thing. Name me a wide receiver. You go look at their stats and you take out their longest play and then uh, extrapolate that data. We just went through Copeland. Xavier Henderson, four receptions, 63 yards. He has a, a long of 35. You're talking about three catches for about 33 yards. Come on. I get better production from a tight end than that. Ricky Wells, six receptions, 56 yards, a 20-yard reception, five for 36. You're not giving me anything. I'm sorry. You're just not giving me anything with that. Justin Shorter hasn't, hasn't even been on my radar. Six catches, 34 yards, take out his long of 32. 13 yards. Guys, no. We're going to talk about their defense now. This is against FAU and USF. Guys, this team has one INT, and that's by uh, All-American candidate Kyra Elam. One interception. Gauss's team against that lesser opponent have seven sacks. Now, let's get to the injury front. So, in the preseason, and you heard uh, the interview with Gator Dave, who did a fantastic job talking about the injury. Opposite cornerback from Elam was supposed to be uh, Jadon Hill, gone for the season, torn ACL. Out for at least this ball game, if not for a huge chunk of the season, um, signal caller on the defense, Vontrell Miller. Bicep uh, surgery, uh, just had that a couple of days ago. He's not playing in this ball game. First question for the University of Florida, who's going to call your defense? Jeremiah Moon has never been a Mike linebacker. David Reese has not called a defense. And you're going up against two former NFL head coaches who knows how to scheme up. Bill um, Oh, God, the offensive coordinator. Dave um, Marone. And you're telling me you're going to play with just one SEC caliber, upper tier caliber cornerback in Elam. Jason Marshall, Patrick Mooner. Man, you, you guys are finna get the spotlight heavy in this ball game. Let's flip it over to Alabama now. And we're going to start with the focal point of Coach Saban's rant. And honestly, it's going to be mine in this ballgame. This Alabama run game has been absolutely putrid. And that starts with the five guys up front. 
you guys are supposed to be further along, especially under a head coach like Doug Marone. They're still trying to shuffle and get their five best offensive linemen. Chris Owens uh, is definitely playing out of position. He should not be at the right tackle spot. He should be back at his natural spot at center. But you got two young pups that, that aren't quite ready to go yet. This Alabama run game in, in two contests, if I, if I look at this correctly, 4.2 yards per carry. That's not the Alabama standard, and I can tell you for a fact, Nick Saban has been hammering the heck out of this point all week long. Guys, we will be better than averaging 4.2 yards per carry, or somebody's going to lose their job on that coaching staff. Brian Robinson uh, Jr., a solid first two games. Guys, his numbers ain't nothing special. 22 carries, 130 yards. It's time to turn this backfield over to the best running back right now that's healthy on the roster, and that's Jason McClellan. It's time to saddle this big boy up and say, you are now the next Alabama running back in line. You need to be the premier running back for this uh, Alabama ball club. The wide receivers. Giving me some, some splash plays. Got to have them be more consistent. Uh, John Mechie, 11 receptions, 146 uh, receiving yards. Jamison Williams. You take out that huge 94-yard reception against uh, Miami, got to make some big plays and dropped a very critical uh, big, big pass play against Mercer last week. We're starting to see the emergence of this highly touted wide receiver in JoJo Earl. Nine receptions, 110 yards. This kid is absolutely electric, and as this season goes on, expect to hear that name uh, a lot more often. Slate Bolden, uh, going to work fantastic in the slot for this team, I think. A name that you haven't heard about, and that's because he's found himself so buried in the doghouse, we don't know if he can find a spotlight to get out. That's tight end um, Jaleel Billingsley. Young man has a has a uh, entitlement issue, and he's at the wrong university if he thinks that's going to fly. You've seen uh, Cameron Batugu uh, uh, really step up in that absence at the tight end spot. Three receptions, 43 yards, does have two receiving touchdowns. Guys, red zone threat. Circle that for this contest. Of note, Will Reichert missed his first uh, field goal at the University of Alabama. Guys, I mean, if you know how um, suspect the Alabama kicking is, him missing his first kick did not even raise raise eyebrows. Alabama also have seven sacks on the season, and they have some injury uh, concerns as well in this contest. We know that um, – we, 
they're already down um, one uh, starting linebacker, and that's uh, Christopher Allen with the foot injury. Don't know if he's completely out for the season or uh, out for a majority of the season, but we know he's not going to be available for this game and uh, not for the foreseeable future. Had an injury concern last week with Will Anderson. Being in that game way too late, um, took a helmet to the knee. Thankfully for the University of Alabama and their national championship hopes, it was just a mild hyperextension. He's progressed during the week. Should be a full go in this contest. Henry Tuoto um, also suffered an injury against uh, Miami. Has a uh, elbow injury, um, UCL injury. You hear this with uh, pitchers, especially. Um, I can tell you that um, it's going to come down to his pain management, and I fully expect him to have to have surgery during the off season. But this is absolutely something with a um, a small harness on his elbow. Uh, he can absolutely play with. Uh, it's just going to depend on uh, his pain management. So who's going to fill in for uh, Mr. Chris Allen? We're hearing the name of Drew Sanders quite a bit. I think this young man has been waiting on his opportunity there for the University of Alabama. I think that this young man wants to step up and absolutely um, solidify that position. You could also see uh, Jalen Moody, Chris uh, Braswell. So, the Alabama rotation uh, on that opposite pass rusher, if you will, from uh, Will Anderson, there's a number of guys that you can rotate in and keep everybody fresh. Phil Mathis uh, has done a fantastic job uh, anchoring that defensive line uh, along with his running mates, um, Byron Young, Tim Smith, Stephen Wynn, Justin Abogi. Um, guys, Alabama, the, the Alabama front just needs to keep those linebackers clean in these contests, and that will um, be successful for the Crimson Tide. Kool-Aid McKinstry, the um, – the highly touted freshman getting a lot of snaps and guys, if you listen to this podcast last season, you know what I think of Malachi Moore. I think this guy is Mika Fitzpatrick slash Eddie Jackson for the University of Alabama. And that's high praise. You're talking about two guys that are doing really well in the NFL. So in my breakdown, that's going to come up here in just a moment. Going to really dive into uh, this ball game. What are the keys for Alabama as they come into this game as, uh, depending, once again, where you shop, as at least a 14-and-a-half um, up to 16-point favorite in this ballgame? Bryce Young handling the, the noise both literally and figuratively in this contest. His first true road contest as the starting quarterback of the University of Alabama. Neutral site game against Miami, fantastic job in that. Taking a look at Bryce's numbers so far, 46 for 65, 70, almost 71% completion percentage, 8.8 .8 yards 
per attempt. Seven touchdowns. And this is what Coach Saban is going to love. No INTs, only been sacked twice. Establishing some kind of running game is my next key. Alabama has not done that thus far. We'll, we'll absolutely need to do so in this contest. And on the defensive side, build a cage rush. And this is where I'm going to go into this in depth because the coach that, that really put this um, in my terminology really hammered it in. And Coach McGinnis, if you're listening, love you, Coach. And this is what we're talking about, a cage rush. Against the University of Florida, regardless of who is playing quarterback, whether it's Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson, you don't have to change your game plan whatsoever. It's not like the Tebow, Chris Leak, where you have an elite passer and a run threat in, in Tebow. Both of these guys are dual threats, so you don't have to change this, um, this whatsoever. And here's where uh, Pete Golding and Nick Saban will look to put together a defensive game plan. Cage rush. You're not rushing to get sacks in this ballgame if you're the University of Alabama. You're rushing to contain those rush lanes with a dual threat running, running quarterback, whether it's Jones or Richardson. Your primary goal is to plug up all of those gaps. And when I talk about gaps, I'm talking about the A gap in between uh, the center and guards on both sides, the B gap uh, between the guards and, and tackles, C gap between the guards and if they're using a tight end in the set. You're plugging all of those gaps and not allowing Jones or AR to get outside of that. So whether Alabama has one sack in this game or 20 sacks in this ball game is immaterial, not allowing him, whether it's Jones or AR to break contain in this contest will be a huge key for the university of Alabama. Who's going to be my name name to watch. It's Malachi Moore. And there's a reason why it's Malachi Moore. He's the best player in that secondary. And now I can bring him up because I don't respect the wide receivers for the University of Florida. I just talked about how um, below average their numbers are. I will play them and I will give them a combination of looks. I will be in a uh, too high look with the safeties where both safeties are back 15 yards. And then I'm going to start playing with, with, with some post-snap uh, post uh, reaction. So at the snap, I'm going to bring Malachi Moore down, not to stop the run, but basically to spy either one of these two quarterbacks. On the opposite side, whoever that opposite linebacker is, whether it's um, Sanders or one of those guys playing, their job is to do the same thing. It's not to rush. It is to literally make sure that he can't get outside of the pocket. So now I have this, the, the interior blocked up. I have on the open side, Malachi Moore. On the opposite side or the boundary side, if you will, which would be closer to the uh, Florida Gator sideline, I have Sanders doing the same thing. 
not letting either one of these quarterbacks get outside of the pocket. If Alabama can limit those two uh, runners, and notice I'm not saying passers, I'm talking about runners, Richardson and Jones. I'm not worried about the running backs. I feel like that is the key for Alabama to win this ballgame. Let's flip it over to the University of Florida. And, guys, this is um, – you don't need a medical degree from Vanderbilt. You don't need a law degree from Harvard. If you are a University of Florida fan, you have to now ask yourself, okay, where does the University of Florida have a match-up advantage in this ballgame? Guys, ain't nobody in their right mind going to tell you that the University of Florida has an advantage at the coaching coaching position, whether it's head coach or position coaches. And I mean offensive coordinator versus defensive coordinator. Dan Mullen is going up against the greatest college football coach of all time, and that's Nick Saban. Guys, this ain't for debate. Point blank, period. Offensive coordinator Billy Gillespie, along with um, – the genius of Dan Mullen, because I'm going to give Dan his credit. Okay, I'm going to give him his flowers. Dan is a fantastic play caller, a schemer of offense. I don't put him in that Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, but dude ain't got to take a backseat to a whole lot of guys calling up offenses. Guys, Ty Grantham versus Bill O'Brien, this is, this is a mismatch of epic proportion. I like Billy Gonzalez, but he's going up against the mind of Nick Saban and his understudy now, Pete Golding. Pete Golding is only behind Kirby Smart as the longest tenured off, uh, defensive coordinator for uh, Nick Saban since his time at Alabama, if my research is correct. Pete knows what Nick wants to call. He's got the, he's got the horses to call it now. Let's take a look at the position groups on offense. You taking these wide receivers from Florida versus the secondary of Alabama. And when I say secondary, I don't just mean the corners. I mean the corners and safeties. No, you're not. You're not taking the run, running backs, Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, Bowman versus Will Anderson. Christian Harris, Henry T, Drew Sanders. Did, no, no, you're not going to do that. Let's flip it over to the Florida defense. If you're going to tell me that Antonio Shelton, Daquan Newkirk, Zachary Carter is better than that Alabama offensive line, I will say no, but I will say that is the closest position group where you can say Florida, it can at least be a stalemate at that. Linebackers, okay? You got Brent Cox, who's coming off of an injury, not fully healthy yet. We know Vontrell Miller is not playing in this contest. Now you're going to match up 
Reese and Moon, who are now going to have to play in space. We'll see how that works out. The secondary. Elam is fantastic. I've already, I've already talked about that. But here's what he's got to go up against. It's not just one Alabama wide receiver. It's four. Who's Elam going to take? Because he's not going to travel like a number one cornerback playing a man-to-man. He's going to play that one side of the field because that's what Todd Grantham plays. So if Alabama wants to, Alabama can move any one of these wide receivers into um, a bunch formation and get a free release. Who's Florida's um, second and third cornerback? And do you trust them to go one-on-one with these Alabama wide receivers? Todd Grantham, who is coaching for his job at the University of Florida in this ballgame. Third and Grantham, as I've heard all week long, versus Bill O'Brien, who knows how to scheme up an offense. Saw it in college with Penn State. Saw it again with the uh, Houston Texans. And here is going to be the thing to watch for in this ballgame. Because here's what you haven't seen from the University of Alabama all season long. You talk about the dual threat option of AR and Emory. Bryce Young has not ran the ball at all this season. Bryce Young can give me two or three uh, first downs using his legs in this ballgame. Or he can give me that Russell Wilson play where he um, bows out of the pocket, gives his receivers an extra two seconds to break free from these cornerbacks, and that's when you see the shot play, the 60-yard pass in this contest. Florida, keys to victory in this ballgame. You have to force turnovers. And you have to force at least two in this contest, and you have to score on both of them. So it's not just enough that you get a turnover and then punt it back to Alabama. You have to get two turnovers and at least 10 points off of those turnovers. That's key number one. You got to start fast is key number two. Because against the University of Miami, this Alabama team, first half point differential, guys, and let's get right to it. The score at the halftime was 27 to 3. This Florida offense is not the offense of last year. This team, if they are trailing by that margin at halftime, this game and that swamp will absolutely be dead solid. You have to start fast if you're the University of of Florida. You can't defer to the second half in this contest like most teams normally would do. You have to get the ball first, and you have to play with the lead. For one, you got to keep that that swamp environment energized because if Alabama goes down and scores on their first drive and then you go three and out or or punt and Alabama has the ball back and they're driving – that energy is going to get sucked out of that stadium. Guys, I'm telling you that for an absolute fact. 
Three, you cannot give up the shot play like Miami did in the second half where uh, Williamson, um, right, af- right after halftime, goes for 94 yards from Bryce Young. You can't give up that explosive uh, play to this Alabama offense. It is like a death knell when you're playing at home and you just see the opponent go for a 85 or 90-plus yard uh, play for a touchdown. You're going to suck the energy right out of that stadium. Finally, regardless of who the quarterback is, whether it's Jones, Richardson, these two quarterbacks are going to have to complete a better uh, percentage than what we've seen in these first two contests. Especially when Emory Jones is in, if he goes three and out, does that Florida crowd turn on him and start chanting for Anthony Richardson? And that's when this young man just absolutely goes in the tank. Because the fans are already calling for Anthony Richardson. So Emory's going to have to start hot. And I'm talking about white hot in this ball game. If he doesn't, crowd is going to start chanting Anthony Richardson's name. I'm telling you, I've been around this game way too long. At that point, Emory Jones' career at the University of Florida is done. Absolutely done. There's no way that this kid is coming back from from that kind of energy, from that that fan base. The, The talk around campus, talk radio, social media, it's all been Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson. Emory Jones is an afterthought, guys. If he doesn't start hot in this ballgame, his career at the University of Florida is over. I'm, I'm calling that right now. Now, he may not transfer right away, but I'm telling you, his career as the quarterback of the University of Florida is now done unless AR gets hurt. And, oh, by the way, I'm now going to speak about the bonehead decision of the week. In a meaningless play for the University of Florida, Anthony Richardson against uh, USF goes on an 80-yard run. Mind you, this is in the fourth quarter when they're up 35-13. to Had no business being in the ballgame. And at about the 15-yard line, his hamstring is absolutely rock tight. He is not going to be 100% in this ballgame, guys. And that's all because of Dan Mullen's ignorance as a coach. That's coaching malpractice. Your best player has no business being in that game. I talked about it for Nick Saban having Will Anderson in the ball game. The same thing for Dan. This is coaching malpractice. You needed Anthony Richardson to be healthy in this ball game to give you that dual threat option that he's provided so far. Is he going to be 75, 80%? Man, you're going to need to be at 100% going up against Alabama. That was that was absolutely foolish by Dan Mullen. And it may have cost your team um, long-term during the season. That's the breakdown for this, for this ball game. I think – the quarterback play for Florida is going to be um, the talking point during the game, after the game, and for the next couple of weeks. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our featured contest of uh, week three in college football. 22-ranked Auburn Tigers will be traveling to University Park, Pennsylvania, Beaver Stadium, to face the number 10-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. This will be a whiteout game, uh, which Penn State um, has once a year. And it is one of the most electric atmospheres in all of college football. If you've not seen one of these games on television or live, you're missing out. So this is going to be a fantastic game in primetime against these two teams that we really don't know a whole lot about so far in the season. I'm going to be able to dive deep into um, the numbers in this contest. New offensive coordinator for Penn State, Mike uh, Yurchek, has focused quarterback Sean Clifford's on limiting turnovers because, honestly, this quarterback has been a turnover machine. Uh, you're going to hear on any network that's breaking this game down uh, the numbers for Bo Nix on the road. Trust me, I'm going to get into that but I also have to put a high level of focus on the other quarterback, Sean Clifford. So protecting the ball for Penn State is going to be a key. For Auburn, we know the numbers that they've put up against absolute cupcakes in Akron and Alabama State. 122 points, uh, racked up 1,151 yards of total offense. Uh, Tank Bixby, uh, Jacquez Hunter, um, a bunch of yards against um, little to no resistance whatsoever. If this game comes down to a kicking battle, big time advantage to Penn State. Their kicker, punter, uh, does all the kickoffs. Uh, Jordan Stout is absolutely one of the best in the country. Um, matter of fact, matter of fact, as a um, punter, he's averaging 53.1 yards per punt, nearly uh, 12 yards better than uh, the national average. For the University of Auburn, they're trying to end a long drought because the University of Auburn has not been a top 10 team on the road since 2014. Nine straight losses, their last win coming over Ole Miss, uh, 35 to 31. That's the backstory. Now, let's get into the quarterback play because that's what everybody's going to talk about. And we're going to start with Auburn quarterback Bo Nix. Uh, 21 games as a starter, um, Bo has been below average, uh, completing 58.9% of his passes, uh, 25 touchdowns, 13 INTs. Guys, that's 6.7 yards per attempt. Uh, barely a two-to-one uh, touchdown-to-INT ratio. Averages about uh, 211 yards per game through the air. It, in 21 games, he's been under 60% uh, completion percentage, 11 of those 21 contests. And if you think those numbers are bad, his, his on-the-road numbers are worse.
in nine true road games, and we're not including neutral site games, not including bowl games, but in nine true road games as a starting quarterback at the University of Auburn, here is Bo Nix's numbers. 156 completions, 286 attempts, 54.9% completion percentage, 1,617 yards, nine touchdowns, 10 INTs, 5.7 yards per attempt. Guys, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me repeatedly say over and over and over again, to be a top-level quarterback, that number needs to be almost double where Bo Nix is in this um, in his career. Needs to be at least 10 to 10 and a half yards per attempt. That's when you get explosive plays out of the pass game. 179.8, I'm sorry, 179.7 yards per game through the air in those nine contests. Nine games, he's been under 60% or lower six out of nine times. And one other time, and that came against Alabama, he was 60.5 last season. He has thrown for less than 200 yards in those nine games six out of nine times. He has no games over 280 yards passing in true road games. Against Arkansas last season was his best game on the road where he completed 70.6% completion percentage, only had 176 yards, did have three touchdowns, no INTs. That has been his best performance on the road. And mind you, that was, I'm sorry, that was two years ago. Um, as as last season in, in the road games, um, not a good job whatsoever. But if you think Penn State has an advantage at the quarterback position in this contest, the answer is no. Sean Clifford has not given me much better production at the quarterback spot, not including um, some games that he started early in his career. We're just going back to the last two years. That's 19 games. He has twelve games where he's completed less than sixty-one percent completion percentage. He also has five games of those 19 where he's been over 68%, which in this modern day um, game of football, that is actually average because of the RPOs, because of uh, the short passing games, high percentage throws. 68% is actually average. That's his numbers. Five games. 300-yard passing games? Glad you asked. In those 19 games, he has 
three of those. One coming against Maryland in 2019, where he threw for 398 yards. In a loss to Minnesota, he had 340 yards, one touchdown, three INTs. And lastly, last year against Maryland, once again, 340 yards, three touchdowns, two INTs. He has 14 games under 250 yards passing. So you're not going to see high-level quarterback play in this ballgame between either quarterback. We talk about kicking advantage goes to Penn State in this ballgame if it comes down to that. And thus far on the new head coach for um, Auburn, Brian Harson, we've gotten good bow in um, the first game against Akron, 20 for 22, 275 yards, 12.5 yards per attempt. That's good bow. Last weekend, we got bad bow versus Alabama State, 9 for 17. Once again, less than 50% completion percentage, 108 yards. 6.4 yards per attempt. Sean Clifford, uh, under new offensive coordinator this season, um, your chicks, 39 for 62, 62.9% completion percentage, 477 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no INTs. Against his showcase game against Wisconsin in the season opener, Clifford went 18 for 33, 54.5% completion percentage, 247 yards, 7.5 yards per attempt, had one touchdown, no INTs. Did have the long, uh, I think it was a 48-yard um, touchdown pass to um, Dotson that really kind of bumped up bumped up his numbers because if you take out that pass, uh, Clifford hasn't been much better than Bo Nix. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network. Keys to the ball game. The matchup of this ball game, number one, Dotson is going to see a lot of Auburn cornerback Roger McCrary. This young man is not just one of the best cornerbacks in the Southeastern Conference. He's one of the best cornerbacks in all of college football. Yes, you're going to hear about Derek Stanley Jr. from LSU. You're going to hear about Kyra Elam uh, from the University of Florida. This cornerback from Auburn does not take a back seat to any cornerback in all of college football. Dodson is going to see a lot of McCrary in this ballgame. If I'm the Auburn defensive coordinator in this contest, I am making it a point of emphasis to play what I like to call cat defense. And for those of you who are new to this podcast, cat defense is simply this. Roger McQuarrie, Dotson, you got that cat. 
if he lines up at the X, if he lines up at the Z, if he lines up in the slot, if he goes to get ice cream, if he goes to get popcorn, if he goes to get a drink of water, wherever he goes, you are right there with him. That is your primary function. And in a game like this, it is going to be ultra important for McQuarrie to do a much of a lockdown job as possible. Now, McQuarrie already on the season has one INT. It did go for a pick six. Dotson, so far on the season, and especially focusing on that game against Wisconsin especially, five catches, 102 yards, one touchdown, including that 49-yard touchdown in the third quarter to really put uh, Penn State um, on the board and, and ultimately propel them to victory. So what's the matchup for Penn State? to win this ball game. Penn State is going to have to get and win this wide receiver matchup. Parker Washington versus Nehemiah Pritchard, wide receiver on cornerback. Penn State absolutely has to win that matchup. And what do I mean by that? I mean Parker Washington must come up with a career performance at least five receptions, at least 100 yards receiving, and absolutely getting into the end zone for a touchdown. For the Auburn Tigers, defensively, we know about Kobe um, Wooden. We know about Derek Hall, McLean, Papo. We already talked about McQuarrie. Smoke Monday will play a lot down in the box at the line of scrimmage to stop that Penn State running game. But I'm going to give you a name that I have been hearing a lot about uh, for the Auburn Tigers. And he doesn't have to play fantastic in this ball game, but does need to make a couple of plays because he may be going up against uh, the best offensive lineman for Penn State in Rashad Walker. And that's transfer from the University of Kansas, Marcus Harris. Harris is um, from right there in Montgomery, recruited um, as a three-star um, defensive end, went to Kansas with Les Miles, um, no longer being the head coach. He transferred back home um, closer to family to play for the Auburn Tigers. I can tell you talking to uh, people both in and around that program, Derek Mason could not be happier to have this young man. When he went into the transfer portal, one of the first calls that he got was from head coach Derek, um, defensive coordinator, um, for Auburn, former head coach of the, uh, Vanderbilt University. One of his first calls was from Derek Mason and said, I have a spot for you. Come to Auburn and be all, uh, be a part of the family. Marcus Harris um, has done so, and so far early on in the season, while not um, eye-popping stats, 
he's been able to hold down that defensive end uh, slash uh, nose tackle spot for the Auburn Tigers in this ballgame. On the season so far, just three tackles, uh, does have one sack. But here's what um, Auburn people are telling me. They love his football IQ. Absolutely love his hustle to the ball. And those hustle plays will eventually turn into turnovers, strip sacks um, from a ball carrier or a wide receiver in the in a ball game. So if this Auburn defense is going to play well, T.J. Moulton, Truesdale, Harris, Wooten, Hall, Papo, McLean must set the edge and stop this run game for Penn State. Because Kane for Penn State is their primary rusher on the season. 28 carries, 117 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Ladies and gentlemen, this contest is going to come down to, for me, which quarterback makes the fewest mistakes. It's not, doesn't make any mistakes, makes the fewest mistakes in this ballgame. Think back to the Georgia Clemson game in week one. That game was absolutely decided on the interception by Georgia going back for a pick six versus the interception that Clemson got against Georgia and could only turn that into a field goal. That's the ball game, guys. That's a one-score game, 10-3. to three. This contest, it will be which quarterback makes the fewest mistakes. Does bowl for Auburn to win, and, and here's their keys to victory. Bo can't give the Auburn Tigers 54% completion percentage and two INTs in this ballgame. Auburn will absolutely uh, lose this contest. Tank Bixby, and I talked about this in the preseason. Good tank versus bad defenses last season. We're talking about and mind you, Arkansas had a really good defense, but against Arkansas, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Here are Tank's uh, combined numbers. 86 carries, 578 yards, 6.7 yards per rush, three rushing touchdowns, averaged 144.5 yards per game. Against Kentucky, Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, Alabama, which he was hurt in that ballgame, and Texas A&M, 52 carries, 246, 256 yards, 4.9 yards per carry, two touchdowns, 42.6 yards per game. If you take out that Alabama game, which I think he had either a hip pointer or some kind of leg injury, he's still 41 carries, 217 yards, rushing five. Point two yards per carry. Is this Penn State defense going to allow Tank to be good Tank, or are they going to force him to be bad Tank? Guys, the the wide receiving core for um, Auburn doesn't leave much to be desired. But 
this offensive line, and we're talking Jackson, Manning, um, Brehams, Jones, Ham, can they set the edge and allow these two running backs to get some creases going up against an okay uh, defensive front seven? Now, are there some indicators in this ball game? Let's take a look back at that uh, Wisconsin game for for um, Penn State, and it's a mixed result. Fifty-eight rush attempts by Wisconsin, hundred and eighty yards rushing, three point one yards per carry, and a long run, longest run by Wisconsin from scrimmage was nineteen yards. I expect Penn State to play eight in sometimes eight and a half guys in a box and going to force Bo Nix to be the difference maker for the University of Auburn. Conversely, I expect Auburn's defense to play a lot of single high safety in this ballgame with Derek Mason, with Smoke Monday playing down in the line of scrimmage, McQuarrie, um, heads up on Dotson and force Sean Clifford to say, Parker Wilson, you're going to have to beat uh, Pritchard in this ballgame. Whichever quarterback makes the fewest mistakes in this ballgame, their team is going to win. If Albert is able to get pressure on Clifford, Force a turnover, force a short field. Advantage Auburn in this ballgame. If Auburn cannot get the run game going, or Dotson is able to sneak behind uh, that Auburn secondary for a big play, advantage Penn State. Coaching, slight edge to Penn State. Quarterback play, Absolutely neutral. Defensive play, because we haven't seen Auburn against um, a quality opponent, we're going to call that a push. Big play ability by the defense, especially on the secondary side, advantage goes to Auburn. We know what McQuarrie can do if he gets his hands on the ball. It is a pick. It is not a pass breakup. It is a pick. And if this young man gets a pick, he's looking to take it to the house. Penn State, name you're going to hear quite a bit on Saturday night, and that's Joey Porter Jr. Yes, that same Joey Porter Jr. Uh, Dad was a, a fantastic linebacker at the NFL level for a lot of years. Joey Porter Jr. blitzes a lot off of that um, slot position. So when he's in the slot, look for him to blitz. Not only as a blitz to quarterback, but to blitz in the running game. If Bo Nix is going to be successful in this ballgame, he can't just be successful as a um, as a passer, we're gonna have to see Bo Nick's legs in this ball game. 
And for us to get that, Bo Nix is going to have to break the pocket at least three or four times in this ballgame and give the Auburn Tigers at least 40 yards rushing in this ballgame. Whether it's running for a first down or running for a touchdown, he's going to have to give me something as a, as a dual threat guy in this run game. Don't be surprised if Auburn sprinkles in a little bit of T.J. Finley um, to make a play uh, in the passing game. I think that that's something that uh, this Auburn staff uh, definitely knows it has in their, their back pocket. Uh, offensive coordinator Mike Bobo um, would not hesitate to, to, to do that. Derek Mason. Um, is going to call a very um, explosive game from the defensive coordinator uh, spot as well. Some run blitzes, uh, some zone dog uh, where he's bringing uh, linebackers off the edge, whether it's Papano, whether it's Wooden, uh, dropping out a defensive end to kind of flood the zone. Brent Prey, the defensive coordinator for um, – Penn State, along with uh, Anthony Poindexter, going to be interested to see how uh, they call the game from a defensive standpoint. I expect both teams to play this game very close to the vest. Very conservative play calling game, kind of what we saw uh, Penn State, Wisconsin. I think the first team to 24 wins. Yeah, I think the first team to 24 wins this this ball game. I don't see it. Uh, I don't see it any other way. I think turnovers are going to be a key. Special teams are going to be a key. But I honestly think the first team to 24 wins this ball game. We would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network. Special thanks to our sponsors, The Rebel Walk. You can visit their website at www.therebelwalk.com. David Walker, you can purchase a copy of his fantastic book I'll Tell You When You Are Good on Amazon. Quick Cut Media, for the best video production for you company head over to them at www.quickcutsmedia.com. I'm changing the narrative. Our good friend and mentor Rachel Barbo started this movement to improve the lives of current and former athletes. To learn more visit www.imchangingthenarrative.com. If you have missed any previous episodes of our podcast, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Radio Public, and Breaker. You can also find the shows on our website at www.crunchtimesportsadvantage.com and in the follow us section you will find the links to our Twitter page at CrunchTimeVIP and our podcast and YouTube channel. You can hear Kenneth on Saturday mornings as he joins the Southern Gentleman Sports Show hosted by the Georgia Dog, Pac-12 Dave, Irish Bill, Noel Corr and Ms. Callie Cash. For showtimes and how you can stream the show head over to wearesportsradio.com or southerngentlemansports.com. You can also hear Kenneth as he hosts a live Collins show talking all things Southeastern Conference football on Mark Rogers' The Voice of College Football SEC YouTube channel. Also be sure to join Kenneth and I on Sunday afternoons as we recap all the action from the weekend in college football. On behalf of Billy and Kenneth, this is Summer and until next time have a great rest of your day and all aboard.